Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the time-travelling TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler, and this week I'm talking about Series 1, Episode 4, Party at Castle Valar. Or, as it appears on the US DVDs, Party at the Castle Valar. I'm not sure who decides what the definitive title of these episodes is. It must come out of the production company somehow, I assume. Anyway, this is without a doubt one of the best episodes of Timeless. It's just so much fun. At the same time, it is completely ridiculous. And yet, alongside the central conceit that is completely bonkers, you've got elements that are really quite dark and also some absolutely classic moments in terms of Timeless as a whole. So I'm going to get straight into it. Here we go, Series 1, Episode 4. The episode opens with a scene that is clearly set in Nazi Germany during the Second World War. The caption comes up December 7, 1944. We're in the interior of a very impressive building and hall. Some kind of medal award ceremony seems to be taking place. He's not introduced at this point, but we'll discover that one of the people that we're seeing is the rocket scientist Werner von Braun. And then we see in the distance a rocket being launched. And everyone present is clearly celebrating the fact they give Nazi salutes. And von Braun is among those who take part in that. For the next scene, we cut back to present day Mason Industries, where Gia has been working on trying to locate Flynn and the mothership time machine. She calls out excitedly to Agent Christopher and Connor Mason to tell them that she thinks she's found him. They always know approximately where the time machine has landed, but by looking at the city power grid, she's seen massive power drains in a particular block power drain so large that she's guessing that it must be Flynn recharging the mothership. Mason clearly agrees and Agent Christopher sends an armed assault team to attack the building. We cut to that building where Anthony Brule is working with the plutonium that he and Flynn acquired in the previous episode. Flynn has surveillance cameras around the building and discovers that the assault team is approaching. He tells Anthony that he needs to make the plutonium safe quickly and they all start scrambling to try to escape in the time machine. Anthony says he needs 30 seconds during which he contains the plutonium inside of some kind of small container. Everyone present scrambles into the mothership and although the assault team comes in and starts firing at the ship it escapes. Interestingly, Wyatt is at the front of this assault team. We don't usually see him in a team. He's generally you know, on his own when he goes on these missions with Lucy and Rufus. But once again, Flynn has got away from him. One thing I've been wondering about is how many people could travel in the mothership time machine that Flynn is using. 
we know that the lifeboat machine, the earlier prototype that Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus are using, can only take a maximum of three people. But in this scene where Flynn escapes here, it looks to me like at least six people managed to climb into the time machine before it vanishes. So that kind of clarifies why Flynn often seems to have a lot of armed men around him in comparison with the much smaller team of Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus. They speak to Rufus back at Mason Industries and he tells them that the time machine has gone to Germany December 9th, 1944, which is two days after that first scene that we saw in this episode. They realise that if Flynn were to give an atomic bomb to the Germans at that time, that would change the outcome of the Second World War. So they conclude that must be what he's trying to do. Again, they don't know the precise location of the time machine, but they know it's within quite a remote area of Germany. The best plan they can come up with is to go to a place called the Tavern Steinhouse, which was thought to be a rendezvous place for the Allied resistance. Lucy and Rufus are surprised to learn that Wyatt can speak German, so that at least will help them. But Lucy certainly can't, and as usual, Rufus is going to be highly conspicuous in 1944 Germany. But they have no other option but to go there and hope that they can somehow locate Flynn and have another go at stopping him. They need suitable clothes to wear in 1944 Germany. And at this point, Connor Mason sheepishly reveals that he has put together a huge warehouse full of clothes from all different eras and geographical areas. And he makes an offhand comment about how it doesn't seem like these adventures in time are going to be ending any time soon. Now that idea seems to hit Lucy quite hard. And this is the beginnings of a thread in this episode where she is having problems with her role in all of this. And we see that developed through this episode. So Flynn, Lucy and Rufus climb aboard the lifeboat time machine. Another thing I've been wondering about is how long these time jumps take. I think it's very fast. Um, and the way they film it in this episode certainly supports the idea that there's a momentary, almost like slow motion effect that they experience that maybe lasts a few seconds and then they land. But it's never quite clear whether maybe for them the experience takes much longer. Their landing here is one of the more eventful ones that they've had because a lone German soldier happens to be standing almost exactly where the time machine lands. The German stares at the time machine incredulous Obviously, he's never seen anything like it. Rufus flips a switch and the hatch to the time machine opens, at which point Lucy and Wyatt are staring straight at this German soldier. He starts to pull his rifle down from his shoulder to take aim at them. Wyatt is just quick enough to take out his own gun and shoot the soldier dead. And they realise that where there's one soldier, there's bound to be others. They move quickly, but soon do see another soldier. Wyatt shoots him as well. 
Lucy has to remind him that they're not supposed to change things unless they really have to in the past. But Wyatt is taking no chances with their own lives. They have to take cover as a German convoy goes past, including a rocket that they see being transported on one of the trucks. And they make their way to the Steinhaus as planned and go inside. The place turns out to be full of German officers. Trying to keep calm, they make their way to the bar. Lucy, of course, doesn't speak a word of German, so she's keeping quiet. Wyatt delivers the code phrase that he's been given, which is to order a 23 Remy Martin cognac, in the hope that that will identify him as friendly to any Allied resistance that may be there. But the barman only says that they don't have it. So Wyatt just orders two whiskies, and they take a table and sit down, hoping that perhaps somehow they can still make contact with somebody friendly to them. But at this point one of the German officers approaches them and demands that they go with him. The credits are rolling at this point. This episode is written by Jim Barnes. He has a producer role as well on this episode and quite a number of others and he also wrote episode 12 of series one of timeless he's previously written for shows like gotham and falling skies and the episode is directed by billy gerhardt it's his only directing work on timeless so far he's previously directed for tv shows like swat and agents of shield and the walking dead there's a couple of other people in the credits who deserve special mention, I think. One is the actor Sean Maguire, and the other is Robert Duncan, who provides the music for the series. I'm going to talk about both of those people and the contribution they make to this episode later on in the podcast. But for now, let's get back to the story. <laughs> Wyatt and Lucy go outside with the supposed German officer. Once they're all on their own, Wyatt and the officer pull guns on each other, at which point the German officer reverts to a British accent and asks them what they're doing messing with his operation tells them that they couldn't be more conspicuous if they tried, at which point Rufus joins them and he sees that they could be more conspicuous. They agree that they should get away from where they are as quickly as possible so that they can talk more openly. Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus tell him their names and he tells them his name, which is Ian Fleming, who, as they know and we know, would become the creator of James Bond. Now, the idea that Fleming would have been out on his own in Germany, posing as a German officer, gathering intelligence, is really a long way from the role that Ian Fleming actually had during World War II, which was more administrative, really, as I understand it. And he did have a very important role, but it was really not the kind of thing that he's shown doing 
here in this episode of Timeless, which is much more along the lines of the kind of thing that James Bond would do. So what we've really got here is Timeless meets James Bond. And to be fair, it works amazingly well. It's, it's such fun. But of all the episodes of Timeless that they've made so far, this one is the most removed from anything that could be seen as historically realistic. I'm not going to worry about it any further. I'm just going to go with the flow. Ian Fleming as James Bond, played by Sean Maguire. So they tell Fleming that there's a very real possibility that the Germans will be deploying an atomic bomb and they explain to him the devastation that that will cause. He tells them that he has intelligence indicating that the Germans intend to fire a rocket into Belgium intended to kill civilians and Allied forces. So they devise a plan to go to the launch site of this rocket so that Rufus can disarm it. So they manage to sneak into the launch site but Rufus, armed with a Geiger counter, realises that this isn't an atomic weapon. It's a standard rocket. So they're thinking that maybe this isn't what Flynn is here to do. They hear cars approaching and take cover. The Germans that we've seen in the first scene at Castle Villar climb out of the cars and with them is Garcia Flynn. Wyatt starts to take aim thinking that this is his chance to shoot Flynn. But standing directly in his line of sight is Werner von Braun and Lucy recognises him and she stops Wyatt from firing. We then cut back to them returning to the place where Fleming is staying and they have an angry discussion around why Lucy didn't let Wyatt shoot Flynn. She has to explain the significance of Von Braun who switched sides and had a very important role in the future of US rocketry and the success of NASA in getting men to the moon. Lucy and Rufus are well aware of the pivotal importance of Von Braun in American history. Wyatt and Fleming are furious that a man with Von Braun's past, his role in the war, could go unpunished for what he's done. But Fleming at least accepts that there are orders for any Allied operatives to secure Von Braun if they get the chance. Fleming knows that there will be a demonstration at Castle Villar that night to celebrate the launch of the rocket. So his plan is that he and Lucy will go to that demonstration and attempt to kidnap Von Braun. Fleming says he can get Lucy inside posing as his secretary but there's no way that he can get Wyatt and Rufus in so they will stay outside at the perimeter and provide backup if needed. The next scene, I think if you ask Timeless fans to name their favourite scenes that we've had in Timeless, I would guess that quite a lot of them would talk about this next scene. 
Throughout this episode, Lucy's hands have been visibly shaking and she's obviously struggling to handle the pressure of the situation that she's in. She has volunteered to go into this very dangerous situation with Fleming, but Wyatt knows that he needs to speak to her and try to help her. So away from the others, he tells her that in the field with other soldiers, he's seen this again and again where a soldier is freaking out and they need to come to terms with what's happening to them or crack up. He tells her she needs to talk about what's bothering her. And she tells him that she shouldn't be here. What she means by that is that she should have died when she was much younger. She tells him the story of when she was a sophomore in college. She had decided to drop out and was going to see her mother to tell her that she was going to join a band instead of doing this history stuff. She lost control of the car and it went into some water. The car was filling up with the water and she would have drowned except that someone happened by and rescued her from the car. And ever since that near-death experience she has tried to always be in control of every situation that she's in. But of course traveling in this time machine she has no control at all and every time she gets in the time machine she feels like she's drowning again. Incidentally in the first episode of Timeless Lucy said that she felt claustrophobic in the time machine so this sheds more light on that. She asks Wyatt how he manages to deal with all the uncertainties in his role as a soldier and he talks about his past that he did not have a good relationship with his father but his grandfather made up for it and was hugely important to him. He realises that his grandfather Sherwin would be fighting less than 200 miles from where they are now in Germany at this time. And he explains that the reason why he finds it so difficult to allow these historical events to unfold without interfering to try to make things better is that he feels he's letting down his grandfather and that he really finds it difficult because he wants to make his grandfather proud of him and that that is why he is fighting. And his advice to Lucy is to work out what it is she's fighting for and if she can do that she'll be okay. The whole tone of the scene is that he cares about her and he's trying to help her and that she appreciates that that's what he's doing. At the end of it he calls her ma'am again which is something she found intensely irritating when they first met. But here it's showing how much closer they've become. There's so much in this scene to think about. I have to say I'm deeply suspicious of this near-death experience for Lucy when she was younger. Could this have been an attempt on her life? And who was the mysterious person who saved her? You have to wonder whether 
Lucy might have been in danger since long before she ever began travelling in time herself. And when you think that Wyatt also has this mysterious event in his past with the death of his wife, have they both been targeted for things that they will do in their future? Before we move on from this scene, this idea that Lucy might at one point have dropped out of college and gone off and joined a band establishes that Lucy has some level of musical ability and Abigail Spencer has said in numerous interviews that she would love to do a musical episode of Timeless. I can't really see how a full-on musical episode would work for Timeless but I can see the opportunity arising for Lucy to become part of a band or to go on stage performing in a musical production as her character in the show. I think that would be fun and we'll have to see if that ever happens. Be good if it did at some point. Anyway, back with this episode, with Lucy now feeling a little more steady, she goes with Fleming to the event at Castle Villar with the intention of grabbing Von Braun and handing him over to the Allies. Fleming has been flirting with Lucy since the moment they met, and that continues. It's not clear whether Lucy's enjoying it or not. I think she's amused on some level. Wyatt is watching some of this through binoculars, rolling his eyes. Rufus definitely thinks that Lucy's enjoying it. You could be forgiven for thinking that maybe Wyatt is a little bit jealous. Wyatt has persuaded Rufus to help him disarm the rocket... Wyatt's just decided that he can't stand by and let this rocket fly off towards Belgium and the certain death of civilians and Allied forces there. So while they're working on that, Lucy and Fleming see Von Braun standing on the opposite balcony. Fleming asks Lucy to try to draw Von Braun away from the crowds. But when she's almost reached Von Braun to try to do that, Garcia Flynn appears beside her. And we get another one of these little scenes where Lucy and Flynn find themselves apart from everyone else and they're able to have a conversation that no one else hears. The first thing Flynn says is that he didn't appreciate Wyatt interfering with his business earlier. Um, Lucy doesn't waste any time telling Flynn what she thinks of him. This is a man who, in this revised timeline, actually killed Abraham Lincoln, and here is colluding with Nazis. He insists again that he is trying to achieve some greater good that justifies his actions and he has to oppose the threat of Rittenhouse. 
She asks him why, if he's here to kill Von Braun, he hasn't done it already. And then realises that there's a way for Flynn to do greater damage here by handing over Von Braun to the Russians rather than the Americans, which would potentially change history to a far greater extent. Flynn thinks he's got the upper hand here. For a moment it looks like that can all turn around when Fleming catches up with Lucy and has a gun to Flynn. But Flynn's prepared for this too. And a moment later they're surrounded by Germans and one of them has a gun to Lucy's head, forcing Fleming to surrender. And Lucy and Fleming are taken away. Outside at the rocket launch site, Wyatt sees this happening through his binoculars and knows he's got to head into the castle to try to rescue Lucy and Fleming. But before he does that, Rufus has an idea to provide a very big distraction. And to do that, he plans to not just disarm the rocket, but to detonate it. While the Germans are distracted with Fleming and Lucy, Flynn takes the opportunity to abduct von Braun, which we now know has been his plan all along. But when the rocket blows up, thanks to Rufus, Flynn and von Braun are separated in the commotion. Meanwhile, Fleming disposes of the guards that are holding him, in true James Bond fashion, and he and Lucy escape. White and Rufus find them, and then they run into von Braun, so now they've got hold of Von Braun. But there's no easy way out for them. Uh, they're spotted by Flynn and German guards with him. They end up locked in a sealed room, apparently with no way out. But earlier in the episode, Lucy had noticed some symbols on the walls, but she couldn't remember what they meant. But now she remembers that they indicate the presence of priest holes, secret passages which in this case runs from the fireplace in the room to the outside. So they're able to escape and Flynn and the Germans rush into an empty room. Rufus is baffled as to how Lucy could have known about this secret passageway out of the castle. But Wyatt isn't surprised, because he's seen something just like it in Skyfall. So having made their escape, what they need to do now is to hand over Von Braun to the Allied forces. While they're waiting for him to be collected, it's well established in the episode by now that Fleming and Wyatt loathe Von Braun. But it's Rufus that goes to speak to him to really challenge him about the choices he's made. And in what is quite a daring move in terms of the writing, I think, Rufus starts to compare what he's done in creating the time machine with what von Braun has done in creating his rockets that killed so many people. Rufus asks von Braun if he felt any guilt about what he'd invented 
And Von Braun said he didn't think about the consequences because if he did, he would never have invented the things that he had. And that all he was concerned about was his objective to someday reach the moon. Rufus says that he's racked with guilt over the damage that's being done to the timeline because of the machine that he has invented. And Von Braun challenges him and says, but like me, you didn't think about that when you were inventing it. So it raises the question of the extent to which Rufus and Connor Mason and Gia and all of the other technicians who built this thing should be held accountable for it. And I think that question will need to be looked at again as time goes on and the consequences of all this meddling in time grow greater and greater because it seems very unlikely that things can be put right entirely back to how things were before any of this happened. So at this point they bid farewell to Ian Fleming. He asks Lucy whether she might still be waiting for him after the war is over. She leans in and says, definitely not. I have to say, in the past, I've not been a big fan of Sean Maguire. He's well known from various TV work over the years in the UK. But I am a big fan of what he did in this episode. It's a pitch perfect performance, I think, of this blending of Fleming and Bond. I think it's a really brilliant piece of casting, which I wouldn't have expected to work, but it really does. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I really wanted to mention Robert Duncan, who's been doing the music for Timeless. I think the music is generally brilliant. He's previously uh, provided the music for series like Castle and True Calling, and even did the music for the last series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is certainly a claim to fame. Um... In this episode, in key moments, such as when we're first introduced to Fleming, the music switches into a very Bond-esque sort of style, very much drawing on John Barry's work for the films. And it really adds to this um, sort of tribute to James Bond thing that's going on throughout the episode. Just because the episode in the past is drawing to a conclusion doesn't mean that the episode is over yet. Um, as is often the case, this is when they start to develop the backstory of all the characters a bit more in the present day. The first thing that happens on their arrival back in present day is that Connor Mason, having heard their account of their adventures with Ian Fleming, tells them that this is beat by beat the plot of the Bond film Weapon of Choice. Of course there is no Bond film called Weapon of Choice in our timeline but it seems that Fleming turned his adventure with Lucy, Wyatt and Rufus into a new Bond film in this new timeline. 
kudos to the production team on this episode. They actually went off and commissioned a poster, a film poster, for the film Weapon of Choice. And very convincing it is too, with a Bond version of the cast and the castle and the rockets taking off. It's really fun. You can find the poster online if you want to have a look at it. Just Google Timeless and Weapon of Choice. While most of them are amused by this, Agent Christopher certainly isn't. Because as far as any of them know, Flynn is still in possession of a nuclear weapon. But in the next scene, we discover that Flynn and Antony had an entirely different reason for acquiring the plutonium. It seems that Antony has been able to use it as a power source, a kind of battery, for the time machine, which means that they will no longer need to recharge, drawing on huge amounts of electricity, which was how Gia managed to find them this time. So without that, um, Flynn will be able to stay one step ahead of Mason Industries and Homeland Security again. Next we get another scene with Rufus and Connor, where this time Rufus is adamant that he is not going to be making any more audio recordings for Connor Mason while on these missions with Lucy and Wyatt. Connor tries very hard again to persuade Rufus, saying that he's in deep with the Rittenhouse people and this is what he needs. But Rufus isn't prepared to keep doing this. But there will be consequences, as we discover a couple of minutes after this. But first we get a scene between Lucy and Agent Christopher. Lucy tells her that she's decided what she's fighting for. She's fighting for her sister, and she wants a team from Mason Industries working on how to restore the timeline and how to bring her sister back. Agent Christopher is not very impressed about this to begin with, but Lucy says this is her price, and if Christopher is not prepared to work with her on this, then she will walk. And maybe this is the start of a slightly tougher Lucy Preston. Back to Rufus then. He's driving home in his car. Seems to have good taste in music. But suddenly the car dies, um, leaving Rufus puzzled as to what's happened to his car. Another car pulls up behind him. A man steps out. The man makes it clear to Rufus that he knows who he is, which puts Rufus on the defensive. The man makes veiled, well not very veiled, threats that if Rufus wants his family to stay safe, then he needs to do what's being asked of him. So clearly this is somebody from Rittenhouse, and Rufus now knows that they're willing to approach him directly, threaten him and his family. And they have a lot of power, or they're very well prepared in the way that 
they were able to take control of Rufus's car when they wanted to. When the conversation is over, the car springs back into life again. I'll say no more about who this man is for now, because I don't want to jump ahead too much in the story, but suffice to say we haven't seen the last of him. So the episode is over, but there's a couple more things I wanted to say. Um, I suspect that the episode is full of Easter eggs about James Bond. For example, the phrase that Wyatt is told to use to make contact in the Tavern Steinhouse to ask for a 23 Remy Martin cognac is a reference that a Bond fan would probably recognise. I'm sure there are others. And if anyone noticed any that I haven't mentioned, do let me know on Twitter or something. It'd be fun to know about any sneaky references that I may have missed. And the other thing to mention is that on the DVD set there is an extra scene that was cut from this episode. But it does seem consistent with everything else in the episode. So I assume it was only cut because the episode was too long. Um, Lucy and Wyatt are back in Mason Industries' wardrobe warehouse, returning their outfits, their costumes. And Lucy says she couldn't help noticing that Wyatt and Rufus had prevented the rocket from firing against its target in Belgium. He says, well, it was the only way to save your life and she thanks him for that there doesn't seem to have been any great impact on history as they know it so all in all maybe it was a good thing and the scene ends with Wyatt saying that he's going to go off and watch this Bond movie weapon of choice which he hasn't seen which none of them have seen <laughs> that's all for this episode of timeless files this is my last podcast for 2017 i'm going to take a short break now to enjoy the christmas and new year's celebrations i want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening so far and i hope you all enjoy the holidays wherever you may be Timeless Files will return in January to talk about episode 5, which is called The Alamo. No prizes for guessing what that one's about. I'll see you next time. <laughs>